Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Build Amazing Things, now on Season 2. Can you believe it? Um, today, we are oh, we are honoured. Oh, let's, let's use some hyperbole. It's early in the day. Uh, we are honoured, we are thrilled to have a special guest with us. Um, that guest is Evan. Evan is joining us. He has had an, a, a, an amazing career, but you know the rules team. I do not ask people for their bio and read it out to punish you. I'm not that kind of person. But I am going to ask Evan, Evan Johnson, who are you, the human? Thanks for having me. Uh, also honoured to be a guest on your show. Uh, so I'm Evan Johnson. I am, I'll work myself, I'll work my way backwards. I'm the co-founder and CEO of RunReveal, which is the simplest security data platform. Um, it's a new company, only a couple of months old. Prior to that, I was leading product security at Cloudflare, where um, I was leading product security for probably the last uh, four and a half, plus to five years. And um, uh, I did before that, kind of interspersed with, you know, by Cloudflare. I worked at Cloudflare from 2015 to 2017, went to Segment and then came back to Cloudflare where I, where I led product security. But I was the first security engineer at, at Cloudflare and Segment, um, was a software engineer at LastPass long ago. Uh, great, had a lot of fun there despite their, their kind of crummy security record now. Um, really great people that I worked with. And then, uh, um, uh, yeah, builder at heart and uh, all things security at Cloudflare, where I was responsible for for um, application security, all of the products we shipped, a lot of the security features that we built, um, enterprise security, all sorts of stuff. So, Evan, I have to ask, because I, I tend to ask particularly those folks who come and they're like, I worked on like a million famous things you've heard of. Um, I do like to ask just to ground us all and make us all feel a little bit better in our day. What's the worst job you've ever had? What was your first job? Where did you start out? Uh, my worst job. So uh, the very first thing I ever did that I got paid for regularly was I would go pick up golf balls at a at a range. Lovely. Except, um, I had to do it by hand. I didn't like drive around a cart and and uh with some machine that sucked them all up i had to actually individually pick up every golf ball i i love this um and thank you for indulging the question um i i think one of the things that we lose track of when we're all talking about our illustrious careers is that we all start somewhere and most of those places we start are nothing to do with where we are now and are deeply unglamorous but um, Evan, it would be a waste of a chat if we didn't talk about your experience. But I want to kind of put a very specific lens on it because at Build Amazing Things Securely, we're really interested in, you know, the amazing technology that's being built and how we do security in it. You've been literally at the very, very big end of town, you know, head of product security for a company that, you know, a lot of the Internet is using in some way or the other, even though most people don't realize it's there and doing its job right the way down to now in your own thing, doing security for your own tiny fledgling company. And that's quite a transition. So, you know, let's, let's kind of, let's unpick this a bit. You were, you know, head of product security at Cloudflare. That's, that's pretty cool. What does that really mean though? Like if we were going to talk about how big a team and, and what kind of things you're working on. What's the day in the life of a head of product in a company that's quite that big? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was a lot of meetings. Um, so at the end of <laughs> at the end of the 
when I when I left Cloudflare in December of this past year, 22, um, I was managing a team of about 15, and that was broken into three teams: AppSec, which was led by a director of application security. Um, Enterprise security, which was led by a director of enterprise security. And then we had a senior manager who was leading tooling and automation and, and a lot of the tools that we were building on our own security team for vulnerability management, for monitoring our, our, um, posture, bunch of stuff. And, um, most of my day by the end was meetings and dealing with whatever was happening or whatever, um, uh, whatever the crisis of the week was. So when there, when Log4j came out, we spent a few weeks on that. Uh, when we were going to release a new product, I would get involved and, and, um, and kind of make sure that everything looked really, really good. If it was a major new product, like an R2 or a Cloudflare workers or something. Um, but really what I was doing was spending a lot of my time with the people on my team, coaching them and making sure that they felt empowered to make security decisions and um, speak up about the things that looked right or wrong or um, or all sorts of or all sorts of stuff like that. And um, when it's funny at the big scale of Cloudflare, you talk about it being a really big scale and being um, uh, like it, from the outside, it feels like a giant giant mm-hmm. company, but on the inside. It actually feels really small when you're in the engineering team or with working with the people in the ETI organization, which is the, the folks working on the newer products. And you get to know everybody really, really well. And there's like a passion for releasing products and building things. And it's, it's so much fun. Uh, I used to say on our security team that our job was when we were releasing something new, just to make sure that the one or two things that couldn't be wrong were, were, uh, that we couldn't fix after the fact were right. Because a new product, sometimes you're doing something that bends a specification or is something that nobody's ever done. And you can't just go read an RFC on like how to build R2 or Cloudflare workers or whatever. <laughs> and, um, I would just ask the people on my team, what's the one thing that we can't mess up on this? Oh, yeah. I, I love that as a rule. I like. I, I feel like that's a really good guiding question for most teams, uh, whether you're in security or not. Is you know, what's the thing I can't come back from? What's the thing I really can't mess up? Um, yeah, as a, a really great priority mechanism. I found that a lot of the engineers had no problem answering that, and it makes security way more approachable to people who um, may not have a strong security background, but they're experts in their own domain because mm. everybody building their product knows that the worst possible thing would be, I can see your data or we, uh, well, it depends on what you're building, but, um, it's usually pretty clear to, to security engineer and software engineer alike. Mm. And do you know what I find interesting? I live in New Zealand, so like everything is little here and very far away. But um, when we see big, particularly American brands, um, and you know, you see the Cloudflares, and you know, to us, they really do seem giant from the outside because that's the scale of the brand that we see. And when you say that there were fifteen people, like that, like my brain doesn't wrap around the fact that there are fifteen people that 
in the security space in something that is so fundamental, so pivotal. And I think that's something that perhaps we all as a community overestimate is how many people that are, you know, they're protecting such amazing teams. If that was the security team size, Evan, how big was the wider engineering space? Hmm. So the security org itself, I wasn't leading all of security. I wasn't the uh, CISO. Um, There's a few different orgs. There's mm -hmm. one dedicated detection response, GRC, um, strategic planning, and uh, programs. And then um, I feel bad. There's somebody I'm forgetting right now. Oh, infrastructure security, who uh, the leader of that lives here in Austin. Uh, so I, I don't feel quite as bad that they're right down the road. But um, so the, the whole security org was about 75 around. Mm. So it wasn't a... And, and how many were in product engineering? So if we looked at product security being related to the, those folks out building the Cloudflare product, how many engineers were, you know, just in the engineering team? I say just like it's just a tiny thing, but you know what I mean. They weren't specially yeah. there to do security. Um, that's a good question. I wouldn't know. Definitely. Uh, I, I wouldn't know. It's a lot. It, a lot. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just six and, you know, there were 15 of you and you just sort of surround them in a big cuddle. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I think the more we talk about and we share about the scaling and, and what it means and, and how these teams interact, the, the more we all understand about what is normal and what is going on. Because I think a lot is speculation at the moment. A lot is hearsay. Oh, you know, they must have this or I assume that they're doing that. OK, so you're at the big end of town. You've got 15 people in product security. You're rocking it. Fabulous. And so you decide to do what all sane people do and go and do your own teeny tiny high risk company. So congratulations. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a life choice. Um, so, you know, now you're at the other end of town. Um, how big is Run Reveal now in terms of whole company size? Yeah, we're three. Fabulous. Good. I love a good, you know, transformation story. I feel like we had a Cinderella moment there. Right. Okay. So we've got three people now, but we're building something cool. So talk me through what the cool technologies we're building, and then we'll dig into how on earth it works when you've gone from that huge scale to this teeny tiny scale. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll start with the problem that we're trying to solve. Um, at Cloudflare, we had a lot of challenges just because of scale and because of, um, you have to talk to a bunch of people and then the vendors are super evil and expensive that exist in the space. Just collecting all of our security logs in one place and making use of them for, for to build detections, to do investigations, to figure out what happened in our environment, to draw pretty dashboards, uh, you name it. It gets hard once you reach a certain scale. And um, and then the price for the vendors who exist in that space are so astronomically expensive that they kind of price out smaller companies completely. Um, so kind of everybody universally dislikes the how things are in this space. And we we started Run Reveal to um, to fix that. My co-founder is hardcore data engineer from Segment and Cloudflare. He spent the last six or seven years at at. Uh, at at Segment and, and then in 2014 through 16, he was at Cloudflare with me and that's where we met. Um, and uh, really we just started with that problem and then we, we, we picked a architecture that we felt could scale basically to, to be huge, to support customers of any size, any number of customers. 
Uh, we worked on that for a long time, the basics of how do we ingest data and write it to a database and make that database uh, scalable and uh, searchable in a cost-efficient way so that we could, uh, tiny companies could use us, giant companies could use us, and we could just be a friendly, uh, friendly kind of brand in the space. And we started with that goal in mind, um, and we just iterated constantly, uh, building things, shipping them, ripping them out when they don't work, uh, doubling down when they do work. And it's just been a lot of fun the last uh, five or six months. Oh, I have some deeply nerdy questions I have to ask about, you know, architectures here because, you know, um, I can't resist an architecture chat. Uh, but I have to ask, and I'm going to actually like, I will say it for the public record. Um, I love that you said that, you know, you're going to be a, a, a good, friendly company um, against, you know, and, and your words, not mine, um, that some of the other vendors in the space are a little bit evil. Um, but we don't judge nor name because that's how you get to lawsuits. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you heard it here first, folk. This is on, you know, the in New Zealand time, the 2nd of August 2023, Runveal have declared they are not going to be evil. So we have to hold them accountable now. But... Let's get Absolutely. back to the tech. <laughs> Let's get back to the tech. So, you know, you just happened to meet two friends who happened to be deeply nerdy and, and work at places that had been ingesting large quantities of data and design and architecture that could scale from the teeny tiny company to the big companies. Now, that's quite unusual when you're building a product. A, a lot of folks will say, hey, focus, 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 go on one, go after one market. And, and I guess in your space, probably enterprise and you know, just build for them. Why have you chosen an architecture that can go from one extreme to the other? And secondary question, the more nerdy one, what are the considerations you had to put into that? What have you built this thing from? Yeah, yeah. So I'll start with what we built it on. Uh, we, a lot of ClickHouse, a lot of WebAssembly, and so really fancy, fun tech. ClickHouse was a, is an awesome database that scales kind of Forever. Uh, we used it at Cloudflare at Segment. They were using it as well. And um, it's a fantastic database. It can be a little temperamental, but it's just so, so fast and, and um, scales really, really well. And then uh, we, uh, a lot of WebAssembly for writing stream processing and, and alerting on the data that's going through us. So, uh, and we did this, both of those were chosen to be um, something that could change easily. So with WebAssembly, we wanted to be able to let customers write their own code. And if we then made a kind of sandbox to safely run Python or uh, whatever, whatever language we wanted to support, everything was gonna be so specific to the language runtime mm. that WebAssembly just made a lot of sense where we're, we're letting customers write Python right now, but um, we run it within a WebAssembly sandbox. And then uh, we're using WAZero under the hood, the pure Go um, WebAssembly runtime. And then for ClickHouse, we wanted something that at the very, very ultra low end was something that we could do Tenancy. So we could have multiple customers using the same ClickHouse cluster and each one with a separate role. So they don't see each other's data. And at the high end was still really 
uh, where, where they're going to have their own single tenant uh, kind of thing. At the very high end, it's going to be super fast. It's going to be a performant enterprise experience. And um, so we kind of picked the technology based on what we wanted the product to be. And um, with, with the belief that once you set the architecture, you can't fix it later. It's the same thing about the security, uh, the two feet, the two things per product that we look at when we are at Cloudflare. Uh, what are the two things we can't change later? And it's going to be where the data is stored. And like, if we let somebody run, uh, who knows what language in our, in our, um, data pipeline for stream processing, then we have to let them run it for forever. Um, and, and it's just so impossible to undo those decisions. I, I feel like when you're starting a company, there's like several challenges that you always underestimate. Um, naming your company is always horrible. And also, you know, choosing where your data is going to live forever. Um, so yeah, well, this is, this is really interesting to me and I'm sure it's interesting to our, our audience listening in. Um, it's always cool to listen to the why uh, of, of, you know, why did you pick your stack? A lot of places, you know, I, I built in a language I happen to know, but you're making very intentional choices here. Now, the bit that you weren't explicit about, but I'd love to ask about, and there's no judgment here, you know, I'd love, you know, what the honest answer is. With just three of you, where did security fit into your decision with the technologies and the architecture you chose? Was it something that was conscious and explicit, or was it something that you're just relying on the intrinsic properties of the technologies you've got there? Yeah, we kind of did our own little bit of testing here and there, but security was very important to us. So um, one of the reasons we selected Wazero, for example, is because it doesn't have, it's a pure go, uh, kind of a very, very minimal dependency uh, implementation of a WebAssembly runtime. And, um, then ClickHouse, we, we tested the roles ourselves. So we figured, can we bust out of this? Uh, I know that we have a role and we're, we're, uh, we're querying the data with my role, but is there anything I can do to try to, to try to do something else? And, uh, we definitely tested our theories to make sure that they were a reality and we didn't we didn't um, sink tons of money into really proprietary research and all of that stuff that, that we could do. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it definitely was a big part of our decision making. Mm -hmm. And then also uh, security wise, we made the decision to be all security key only at our company really early. So WebAuthn only, um, we have pretty good practices around our architecture and the way we provision it and the way we manage it. Um, we've got like an access broker using Tailscale to get into our environment. So I would say that we run a pretty tight ship just by virtue of being security conscious people. Yeah, um, you've, got, you've got three very experienced people who have had to live this before. So um, that that's, you know, a starting point that many companies don't get. Now, I'm expecting, um, like to quote John Gelsey from our previous episode last season, he said, you should plan on being wildly successful. And I'm sure that Run Reveal will be. So as you grow, how is this going to work? How do you think security is going to scale with you as a, you know, a three person organization? Um, how, 
how much of a role is security going to play as you start to grow and as you start to go after that market share? Oh yeah, security for a security company is always a big deal. Um, the kind of uh, coming back from getting hacked and security incidents and and issues is, in a, is that's a situation I don't want to be leading a company through. No, no, um, I don't think any of us would run that. Right, and so. Uh, we really want to focus on the kind of foundational stuff, not to overcomplicate security. So um, we uh, we have security keys now. I mentioned Tailscale as well. So we've kind of made a lot of these decisions and, and done a little bit of groundwork so that those are things that can be core pieces of the engineering stack later on. So I, I hope we're we're using TailScale for a long time because mm. it, it uh, is a great product and enforces like uh, automatic offboarding from our mach our machines out there. A lot of good properties, and so um, yeah, every every little bit of effort you put in early on to uh, to a really scalable solution for your security that you can keep around is really. Uh, effort that's not wasted because you get to keep that through the entire life cycle of the company as the company's really big and mature we'll still have to we'll still have security keys and we won't have to do this big project and this whole uh 100 person effort to try to roll them out for example yeah absolutely now i want to go back a little bit to something you said about your particular audience and i think it's really interesting and this is a challenge space that not many companies have to try and tackle and that's that you are talking about being able to serve the little companies and the huge ones at the same time now as we know from you know previous chats we've had on this show and you'll know very well evan that a smaller organization has different requirements and expectations than a larger one um how much time do you spend on each of these groups is there a difference between how you treat the larger and the smaller um, it might be too early days for you, um, but I just kind of want to see how you as an organization are thinking about security when it comes to such vastly different operating behaviors from your customers. Yeah, we had really good role models when I was at Cloudflare in the executive team at Cloudflare where, um, uh, for better or worse, if you tweet at one of those executives issues that you're having with the Cloudflare product, they will respond and they will try to fix it. Um, awesome. That can be really, really beneficial, but it, and it can be distracting if you're an uh, employee of the company and uh, and you have the CTO suddenly asking you, why does this thing work? Somebody's asking me on Twitter. Um, so right now we're treating everybody the same. We're doing this thing that's probably not going to scale where uh, we want to make everybody successful with our product and we would just want to make the best product. And, and um, that just means everybody that but uh, to me, everybody who uses our product right now is an enterprise customer in my mind. But uh, yeah. the reality is not everybody's going to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's something definitely we're seeing a lot of commentary about at the moment is where companies choose to um, place a, a cost on security versus just embedding it in everything and, and what you can provide as your base foundation for free versus what you have to then uh, be compensated for just because of the complexity of it later. So, okay, so we're here today, it's the 2nd of August. What does this look like um, as, a, a, as a tech company? So not necessarily, you know, the big 
venture capitalist spiel, but um, as an engineer, as someone who's building something cool, where is this technology going to be in five years? Yeah, WebAssembly, I think, will be um, very common. Um, there's, we're kind of at this point where we don't really know what the future of WebAssembly is going to be, and there's been a little hype around it. But if you buy in, then you can kind of see that it could be really useful to be um, to make to embed uh, programmability into a bunch of existing kind of things. So uh, imagine imagine um, you know WebAssembly on the network or WebAssembly to program uh, your firewall or something. It it kind of uh, seems like an interesting solution for embedding safely your uh, uh, untrusted code. Now, whether that becomes true or not, will that's kind of the same problem, the same promise that virtual machines made. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing all of these issues with virtual machines. So, uh, just one last week with the AMD uh, issue that was published by by Tavis Ormandy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't really know how the future will go, but it does seem promising for WebAssembly that it could add this layer of programmability to things that we already have. And then for ClickHouse, I kind of think that ClickHouse, while it's been around for quite a few years, it still hasn't had its heyday. It's a really, really incredible database. Um, it is so, so fast. And I think that as more people figure that out, it um, it will be more common to, to be seen outside of these of elite uh, engineering orgs where they can throw a bunch of people at the problem uh, and, and run ClickHouse. I think if I had to if I had to compare it to something, I might compare it to like, and I'm not a not a data expert in any regard, but I might compare it to Kafka, where where uh, operating it is kind of complex and you could hurt yourself, but it is very very powerful in what it does. I, I, all I'm hearing is that people are going to get deeply nerdy about a new technology again. Um, I love Kafka folks. You're all good humans. But my goodness, you are a very, very specific bunch of humans. Um, okay, cool. Uh, and what about run reveal? So you're taking on logging. You know, we, we've all tried to set up logging systems. We've all seen the pricing. We all know where this ends up. So what's the vision? Where will logging be in five years' time? Yeah, I mean... Who knows? But with Run Reveal, uh, there's a lot of different ways we can take it. We could. Um, what I hope is that the cost efficiency is um, it, with ClickHouse makes a very, very performant experience that you can't get anywhere. So it'll be cheaper, more performant, and and massively level up the amount you can ingest. Uh, and so. I hope that we can cut everybody's bills in half for the same amount of data, and and uh, that would be great because we would still make money, and um, our customers would be happier because they can query their logs and not wait around, and that'd be great. But then there's also this um, idea that I've thought about, which is um, you see a lot of these logging platforms and how much they cost, and I won't name, name names, but it's especially been in the news over the last few months. Mm. And 
um, what if we could help take your data and put it in your own your own kind of uh, ClickHouse cluster or something that uh, runs all of your metrics or your logs and stores it mm. all? And we can just manage the ingesting and putting the data, keeping it clean, searching, visualization, all that stuff. And then you end up actually owning the cluster. And and I think that seems really cool from a data sovereignty perspective mm. and uh, also from a cost perspective. And uh, I think that that'd be really interesting if we can do that. I think it's 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 an interesting space technology. You know, um, I think we're all getting old enough to see things come and go. And I think where the cloud has been transformational um, and shared services and SaaS products have been transformational in getting us up and doing and um, and being able to focus on our core uh, job and what we want to do in the world. The issues like data sovereignty, especially in the age of AI, seem to be uh, you know, encouraging us to remember some of our old school ways of doing it and why we did it. Um, I think it's going to be logging will be a very, very important space in that, uh, no doubt. Right. Our time has drawn to a close, Evan. It has been fun. Um, I love that you were able to share your journey from the very big end of town to the much, much tinier. And I'm really excited to see the idea that logging and um, the processing of logs um, will be available fast to all companies, not just those with the deepest pockets. And as a security person, that can only be a good thing because the more logs we have, as you'll remember from our episode with our forensics specialist, Shanna, uh, the more logs we have and the more data we have available, then the better decisions we can make when things go wrong. So fantastic. Thank you for joining us today, Evan. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Now, um, you know the drill team. Please do like, subscribe, follow along, and also check out our sister project, One Hour AppSec, where we are working with teeny tiny teams through to much bigger teams all around the world and providing one hour worth of instructions to do some AppSec in your world every sprint. So just one hour of sprint can get you doing some AppSec, uh, even if you don't have the resources and people to have a specialist team leading it. Okay, we will catch you again soon. Take care.